Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joel Show podcast. Today on the pod, TransLink introduced three new bus rapid transit routes for Metro Vancouver. However, not all communities are convinced. We'll explain why. Plus, the week that was in politics. Keith Baldry joins us as we look at the three policing mess and the upcoming NDP convention. And U-Turn, the federal government now says international students in Canada will be restricted to a 20-hour work week. What will it mean for BC employers? And our Friday rap panel weighs in on the best Christmas movie ever. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. All right, welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, uh, we were talking about uh, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke, who spoke to the press today in regards to um, Solicitor General Mike Farmworth, who announced yesterday uh, that the province has suspended the city's police board. Lots of opinions on this. We want to get to Wally Opal. We're just going to ask, uh, we do want to hear from you as well, so I want to take a couple of calls as well. Uh, let's go to Mike in Surrey. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jazz. You know, I think she needs to throw in the towel, but no, at no time has she put out, made any effort to do anything in, in, as a resident of the city of Surrey. She's had so many opportunities to go to the local press and even to you guys and say, here's the actual cost, here's the five-year projection, here's what we're using, here's why we think you're going to get a double-digit uh, increase. We've seen nothing like that at all. And, in fact, they've done nothing on the Surrey transition. They've had a police board. And there's no evidence they've done anything since uh, Wally, or not Wally, but uh, Mike Farnworth said, let's get on with it and make this transition. So, you know, it's such a passive-aggressive move that uh, I don't blame them for can- for uh, firing the board and uh, putting in uh, a, a administrator. I think it's time that that got done, but I, it's time that the city of Surrey gets a chance to see what are these numbers, where are the city of Surrey numbers, where is the provincial numbers, Let, let's have a look, you yeah. know, uh, because I think that'll help everybody, it'll calm everything down, but right now we're we're still in the cloud as a resident, they're telling me I'm going to get a 20% increase, and yet I don't know why, because I don't see them doing anything else in the city, we've got a rec center uh, lot sitting empty, same thing, they put a shovel in, do nothing for, for two years, it's ridiculous. Like, Mike, uh, thanks for your call. Yeah. I appreciate it. You know, sometimes I think uh, Mayor Locke just needs to sit in an office with the Solicitor General and just hash this stuff out over a couple of hours. I think there's a solution there. It's just been so politicized, so politicized. And uh, it's a masterclass on how not to uh, move a file, especially one as important as a police transition. Uh, let's go to John in Surrey. Hi, John. Hi, Jazz. Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just tired of these politicians that, you know, they run on a platform, but they pick only one specific item and they, they dig their heels in on that and, you know, pay no attention to the rest of the platform. They just focus on that one thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as a Surrey resident, you know, they spent millions of dollars setting this all up. Now she's going to spend millions of dollars dismantling it all. And at the end of it all, we spent millions of dollars and end up with absolutely nothing. Yep. No, I think you're absolutely right. I just think it's so far gone. And you, you can certainly have com- complained about the way the past council handled things in regards to being open and transparent and, and you know, talk about what the broad costs were going to be. I think they, they could have done a much better job, much better job. So we're in, in that mess now, but we're so far gone now. I don't know how you turn this around. So as I said, politics is, is, is in the midst of all of it. And that's the sad part of it. And so residents are going to suffer for it. Uh, let's bring on Wally Opal, former attorney general, of course, here in British Columbia. He's a lawyer for uh, Mountain Law Corporation. And he's talk, long talked about regional policing. Uh, Wally, uh, first of all, your thoughts certainly on um, uh, the Solicitor General yesterday suspending the city's police board. Was that a good move or a bad one? It's absolutely the right move. Uh, you know, the police board is a governing body of any municipal police force. The police board 
sets the priorities, they set the policies for the police to govern. And the mayor is the chair of the police board. In this case, the mayor uh, is openly opposed to the Surrey Police Service. So obviously you have a conflict. You have a mayor who's opposed to the progress being made by the Surrey, the SPS. And so that's, that can't continue to happen. So Mike Barnworth did absolutely the right thing by suspending temporarily the police board and uh, appointing an administrator so that you can start moving on policies and you can start moving on real policing issues. Uh, keep in mind that the RCMP have no police boards. The municipal police services in this province have police boards. They're the local voice of the community. And so that's why we have police boards. And it's important that they set policy and they set it unfettered and they do it for the good of the community. And that can't happen if you have a mayor or a city that's openly opposed to it and, in fact, even launched a lawsuit against the province in order to to get rid of the SPS. Do you think so, this law, lawsuit has much merit? Do you think? I mean, you've you've got no. tremendous amount of legal legal experience. Do you think it's going to go anywhere? You know, I don't want to second guess the lawyers that gave them the advice. I don't think it has any merit at all because when the solicitor general made the decision in July, mm-hmm. he based it on the fact that the RCMP at the time were fifteen hundred members short. And they were not able to police Surrey in a safe and adequate way. Those are the facts that he used. Now, a Supreme Court judge is going to hear that, and the judge is going to have to decide whether that decision is a correct decision, whether it's based on the evidence, or whether it's patently wrong. And I don't see how any judge can say, well, he made the wrong decision. Keep in mind that the judge cannot substitute his or her own decision for that of Mike Farnworth. That's Mike Farnworth's job under statute. He's legally entitled to make that decision, and he made the decision based on the evidence that he had before him. And nobody has said that evidence is not correct. So, you, so I, I, I just find it difficult how Surrey could, could, could succeed on a judicial review application. Uh, final question to you. Do you think this would have just been just completely different in regards to the how this was handled if the previous council had just been more open about the projected costs of this transition, the timeline of this transition, the costs of police vehicles, a gun range, the IT services. It seems like it was just a black hole where very little to nothing was ever shared with the public beyond we're transitioning, it's going to be wonderful, rainbows and everything else. But we never got to the brass tacks. And one of the reasons we're having this, we're in this mess now, is the previous council never, ever, in an open and transparent way, shared that information with taxpayers. Well, I think that if you're in retrospect, you can always be a Monday morning quarterback and say, well, Maybe we should have done things differently. But keep in mind, in 2018, this council voted unanimously to move away from the RCMP and to an independent police service. And they did it because it's their view that uh, an independent police force would be more accountable to local authorities and local uh, citizen groups. That's the reason why it was done. Now, I think they must have realized at the time that the transition costs at least, would be significant. and uh, But at the same time, I think they realize the long-term costs 
would probably even themselves out. You see, at one time, the RCMP didn't have a union, but mm-hmm. now they do. So the costs of policing, the human resource costs, would probably be equal because, I mean, BPD officers and the, and, uh, the Delta police, they have generally the same pay range. So I don't think a, an independent police force in Surrey is going to cost significantly more than the cities playing for the RCMP. The other thing is the federal government is, is thinking now seriously of doing away with contract policing. Contract policing means that where a city enters into a contract with the federal government and the federal government then provides a police force for you, lock, stock and barrel, including a police chief and members. So the thinking in Surrey was, well, we'd like to have our own members and we'd like to govern our own police force. That was the thinking in 2018. I'm sure things could have been done differently, but... uh, but, you know, uh, that's the way it was. Wally, thank you for your time. We've run out of time. Have yourself a wonderful right. weekend. Okay, same to you. Thanks. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's uh, check in with our good friend, Jerry Mayor Judson, who hasn't been on the show this week. Certainly he hasn't been in studio. Uh, Jerry uh, contracted uh, COVID over the weekend, last weekend, and uh, is home resting. So we just wanted to catch up with her. How are you doing, Jerry? Oh, much better now, Jazz. Thanks for asking. You're doing a lot better. You still sound a little sick. I know. I can't kick it. And I've been testing every day to be like, maybe can I go out? Can I leave my apartment today? No, but we'll get there. I will be in studio again on Monday. So help me God. <laughs> Thank God. The last time we talked, you we were we were talking about what you're watching on uh, on uh, streaming services to uh, obviously deal with all the free time you have and just uh, getting back to normal and getting healthy again. Uh, what was the one program you're watching on Tubi? <laughs> I was watching two of them for which I caught flack. Yes, um, Thunderbirds and also Australian Border Security. <laughs> Australian border. Australian border security, and I have watched more of it, but I've also diversified because we we got got a couple emails with some good recommendations, mm-hmm. um, and I've taken I've taken heart I've taken some of them to heart because as you heard we got into the segment with Star Trek theme music, and I I'm already a bit of a Trekkie like I have seen I watched Lower Decks first I watched mm-hmm. the animated one okay. And that got me into the Star Trek mythos. And now I've seen Strange New Worlds as well, which is a prequel. It came out recently. It's a prequel to the original series. Loved that. Watched Picard. Loved that. So I did. I got into The Next Generation. I watched the first couple episodes. Fantastic. I'm in it now. I'm on board. So that's something that someone recommended me. I've also seen the first couple episodes of NCIS. Oh, you watched well. that? Mm-hmm. I did. And actually, it was awesome. I didn't expect to be so gripped by this, like, Navy CSI show. It's awesome. Um, there, I've seen all of Loki already. And this MI5 show that someone else recommended, it's supposed to be on Amazon Prime. Yes. And as, as, an Eng- as a UK spy show, it's got Tom Wamsgans from Succession in it, which I did not know. And then I saw that and I was like, okay, very interested. It's on the list. I haven't done it. And our executive producer, I've just been watching so much TV. Our executive producer, Amy Beeman, said Escaping Twin Flames on Netflix. And I have started that journey. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I have seen M- MI5. MI5, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed. That was really good. Okay. Because uh, okay. I love espionage and that kind of stuff. So it, I really enjoyed that. What was the one Amy Amy recommended? 
Amy recommended the docu docu series called Escaping Twin Flames. Oh. And it's this, yeah, this weird, I'm going to say high control group that was started where it was like a relationship based high control group. And I don't know how it broke bad yet because I'm still in episode one, oh, wow. but I, I love that stuff. It kind of, it's capturing the open-minded new agey woo woo spiritual folks that are getting into this cult now. And they're oh, sorry, high control group. I don't know. I can't, it hasn't broken bad yet. So I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Another one in, in, you know, we spent so much time talking about the Middle East recently is a actually, actually um, an interesting one on Israeli special forces, but it also sp- spends a lot of time dealing with Palestinian community as well. Fauda, F-A-U-D-A, Fauda. Okay. I think there's a couple of seasons really well done. It's an Israeli uh, series. I would highly recommend mm-hmm. that on Netflix as well. I'm writing it on my list <laughs> for go. all my free time this weekend exactly. so it's gonna that's the one thing you can catch up with all the all the uh, the, the streaming uh, services and and uh and uh, catch up with the programs you want to watch but uh i'm glad you so you've got some good recommendations from our listeners yes oh absolutely i'm like thank you so much for everyone that's emailed and if if you want to email me it is jerry g-e-r-i at cknw.com tell me what you're watching recommend stuff to me i'm housebound and i need mental (laughs) stimulation to keep from actually climbing up the walls it's awful (laughs) but you're have you watched all of australian border security (laughs) No. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer, but I will say Just that I watched it. a two-part... <laughs> you, you have an excuse. You're sick, so you're not thinking straight. Yeah, sick in multiple ways to be so compelled by this program, but they found an international sex ring. It was cra- It was a crazy two-part. At the airport? <laughs> At the airport. They found this woman. She was trying to come into Brisbane. It was oh, nutty. Geez. Oh, it's it's so the just but you know what I'm not I'm not going to switch my career or anything I've got, I've turned the corner on that I'm okay. not going to be a border security agent anymore but it's it's been something but no I've I've pivoted to, to quality television well well we miss you uh, be good uh, get better and we hope to see you, see you next week thanks Jazz I hope so too. Last fall, immigration, refugees, and citizenship minister Sean Fraser said that he was temporarily lifting the 20-hour-per-week cap on the number of hours eligible post-secondary students can work off-campus while classes in session. Now, that was, as I said, temporary. The, this change started last November, but is ending December 31st of this year, uh, which, of course, would impact many international students. We've been having a pretty broad conversation about how many international students should be coming to this country. Many people said there's too many. Others have said, look, our uh, education system has become too reliant on those dollars from international students, and what keeps the system afloat, and that's not the right way to go. It's not the way we should be running our education system. But there's no doubt those students do work uh, out in the workforce and many of our employers, particularly in the service sector, do need those employees. Joining me now to talk a little bit about what potential impact this could have as students can only work a maximum of 20 hours per week. That's international students. Joining us now is Ian Tostenson, president of the BC Restaurant and Food Services Association. Ian, welcome. Thanks, Jazz. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you as well. What does this mean for your industry? Well, you know, when I got the call today, I sort of thought, hmm, and then I went, uh-oh, this is a big, this is a bigger issue than I thought. And I think um, probably for most people, you'd be quite surprised. So there are, uh, this is up to 2022, there's 600,000 international students that study in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, 
which you know where they're, they're coming from afar. And um, but what we see is that the and then the other stat I found interesting is that back in you know, 2000, the very few of them worked. Now, um, out of the 600,000, you have uh, what the you know, labor participation rate of almost um, 277,000 workers. If I if extrapolate that and say, what does that mean to British Columbia? It means that, you know, our, our share of population in B.C. probably means that there's 30,000 thereabouts international students that are available for work. I'm not sure not available for actually working mm-hmm. and being paid in British Columbia. Then I looked at, well, where? And the top two places are accommodations and hospitality. So absolutely. This is this is, you know, is a big, big issue. Um Two, I was talking to someone today. They had an international student that works. I know how they do this. Uh, they work 40 hours, mm-hmm. uh, 37 half hours, and they also go to school, and they also have two kids. And now they can only work 20 hours a week, and they can't afford to even sort of be here. So from an employment point of view, availability of labor, it's not good. And it's certainly not good, I think, for some students that are relying on these extra hours um, to both pay for their education and, and their high rents. So it's not good. Yeah. Did you, did, was your industry aware of this? I know we called you today. Uh, I didn't see a lot of newspaper articles on there. No. I think I've seen like one, maybe two in, in sort of very small uh, 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 publications that pr- predominantly speak to immigrant communities. Yeah. Uh, it, it caught our eye right away. I mean, I, I just have to walk outside our studios here and the amount of international students you see just around downtown and working in various restaurants and things like that. I mean, this is quite significant, just in regards to the impact on BC employers. Right. Yeah. I, we this like I, if, I, if I hadn't got the call from uh, CKNW, I would like would have bypassed this. And I'm sort of thinking, hey guys, this you know, hello, minister. This is something that's very significant. We have a a labor shortage in general uh, in Canada in BC. So that's you know, so immigration is, imp- is important, and in our industry. Um, the numbers probably raise about, you know, we're still about 25,000 workers short. So this is not going to help that. Uh, it's not that these, these you know, the 30,000 in BC thereabouts, we're going to fix that. But it still leaves us um, scrambling. And in this case today of this business I spoke to, um, they're now scrambling to try to fill those hours uh, in their business. It's a small business. It's a retail business. That's in a, uh, it's a liquor store. So, yeah, kind of surprising that, there wasn't a little bit more, hey, guys, we're going to do this or what the implications are. And I don't know for the life of me, Jazz, what's behind this. I don't know at a time like, you know, we're bringing in more immigration into Canada. We're, we've got a labor-starved market in Canada. And then suddenly we're going to take labor out of the market by 20 hours a week on each worker. I, I don't know what the – I can't understand it. Usually I can figure these stuff out, but this one I can't. <laughs> well, I think part of it – I was trying to think, think as well about this. First of all, there is a pushback, pushback in regards to – forget about hospitality for a second, just on the education side. We have about 226, mm-hmm. I think, educational institutions in this province. About 25, 26 of those are public. So we've got 200 mm-hmm. – private schools now in this province, which are catering to these international students. And I would argue, and this is just me, some of them are nothing more than diploma mills now, that we are, uh, A, abusing these kids, and B, mm-hmm. uh, even our public institutions, in some cases, 37, 35, 40% of those students uh, are now international students. The dollars that are coming in, our system has become addicted to it. Um, yeah. So we invite them, 
we say we're going to charge you a lot more, which helps our system. Or we'll set up schools where I think their credentials don't matter in, in regards to these private, some of these private, some of these private schools, not all of them. Uh, and then these kids are trying to work here as well. So uh, we don't, we can't make up our mind that we want them in as to educate kids and hopefully convince them to stay here and it works for our system. Or do we just look? Are we just looking for labor and using education yeah. as an excuse to to bring it in? I think our immigration system is incredibly muddled. It's unfocused. Uh, and I brought this up with the immigration minister a couple of times now in the last month since he's been here. And I, I, I think this is sort of your industry in some ways is going to feel the pinch more than others just because yeah. if you are trying to deal with this and you sort of turn it down 40 down to 20 so there's no more abuse on, on, on the education side, well, it doesn't help your industry whatsoever. No, and and I and I totally agree with your analysis. I, you know, I think you're right. I, I mean, the, the education has become like a business versus you know going abroad to be educated. So I think there's a lot of things that are going on here, and I and I do agree with you on immigration. That you know we we say we want immigration, we need immigration, we've always needed immigration. Yet um, we seem to have a very cumbersome, disconnected system between what the province and BC allows and how it does it so so slowly mm-hmm. unfortunately and and then other provinces and the federal government so yeah it, it needs to be way more comprehensive and of course you know you, you talk about this all the time <clears throat> the implications on housing and all the rest of it so i think that the public really needs to have a, a better understanding on in uh, on terms of our overall strategy as canada here in terms of our labor supply and how it all fits um, with these things is kind of confusing. Yeah, it very much is. Well, we'll stay on it and uh, update you as if we learn more as well. I mean, <laughs> they still got a bit of time. It's it's uh, one of those things where sometimes departments and ministries find out, wait a minute, well, we did that. That's right. Oh, my God, that's ending in December. We better figure this out, and then they can make some changes. So we'll stay on top of it, and uh, but I'll let you know that's for sure. Ian, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Yeah, you too, Jazz, and I look forward to talking to you soon. To revisit a story from earlier this week, uh, as we all heard on Tuesday, there's a new battery production plant coming to Maple Ridge. Uh, leaders gathered uh, in Maple Ridge on Tuesday where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Premier David Eby and the mayor of uh, Maple Ridge, Dan Rumi and many other dignitaries uh, to announce a partnership between battery, battery manufacturer E1 Moly and the province and federal governments. A billion dollar partnership, um, 350 new jobs, 100 existing jobs that will be uh, that we part of that. So 450 jobs in total. Uh, the province is investing about $80 million into the new facility. $970 million comes from the federal government, E1 Moly, and private sources. Uh, I think about $700 million of that is private sector, and the rest is between the federal and provincial uh, governments. Now, the batteries themselves that they'll be producing are usable in um, vacuums and power tools and garden trimmers and medical devices. Here's Prime Minister Trudeau speaking on that day. Ewan Moly has picked Maple Ridge to build a major lithium-ion battery cell manufacturing facility. This investment will create up to 350 great new jobs and secure over 100 existing positions. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about Prime Minister Trudeau in Israel that day, and not that we didn't cover the event itself, but I think it's important to uh, revisit this story, just get a sense of uh, how important this investment is. I mean, you think of LNG plants or forestry or mining, plant, uh, mining uh, new mining projects, those projects can be in the hundreds of million dollars, in many cases billions of dollars, but usually don't see or about a billion dollar investment in suburban Vancouver. So it is news in many ways. So joining me now to talk a little bit about the E1 Moly facility is Dan Rumi, who's the mayor of Maple Ridge. Dan, thank you for joining us. 
Hey, Jazz, thank you for having me. How important is this for your community? Well, I mean, to, let's put this in context for a moment. We're a city with a population of 95,000. We're growing twice the, the rate of the national average. Um, when we look at our tax base, 93% of our tax base is residential. So hmm. to have a billion-dollar investment uh, into our community will go a long way to balancing out that uh, tax base for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, is Ewan, has Ewan Moli been there before in regards to being located in Maple Ridge, or is this a new, uh, a new arrival for the community? They, they've been existing there for quite some time. Uh, they've went through different iterations of it, but the current uh, company, Ewan uh, Moli, is, is uh, from a uh, Taiwanese company, have been there for quite a while, uh, many, many years. Uh, and uh, they have been working towards wanting to create a new manufacturing plant in North America. So there's been lots of ongoing discussions, and they've chosen to stay in Maple Ridge. Uh, and we've worked very hard to help them get to the point where they were able to make that decision. Mm. Uh, and I know uh, Taiwanese companies are uh, reshoring to a certain degree as well. You you hear of a massive semiconductor facility uh, that they want to open in Arizona. A Foxconn itself uh, is, I think, converting a GM plant in Ohio. Uh, and those are in the billions of dollars. And then, of course, you have this investment uh, uh, as well. How much work did it take on your part? I know, as you say, the facility was there before different iterations. But how much work did it take on your part and council's part just to make sure uh, you could sort of make sure they invested and continue to invest in your community? Well, I can tell you uh, back in 2019 when I was a member of Parliament, this is something that I brought to Industry Canada because uh, we've had those conversations uh, back then. Um, when we were elected in uh, last year, um, we started meeting with them and they were still deciding where they wanted to go uh, and what their their challenges were. So we worked very closely with them, their engineers, our engineers, city staff, council, uh, to to see how this could possibly work. Because you know you're you're talking again about a billion dollar investment. Uh, that's not a small small thing to be to to be talking about. So the fact that they were they were here already, uh, they need to expand their operation. So we've been going back and forth with them to help them do that. Um. On a regional level, we often hear that I think four and a half percent of the land here in Metro Vancouver is uh, is geared towards industrial. How much of a challenge is that for your community? I know the Surrey still got lots of land. Um, I shouldn't say lots of land, at least some land. <laughs> They're growing pretty quickly as well. But we have a huge challenge in this region that we just don't have enough industrial land. What's it like, look like uh, in Metro in Man Maple Ridge specifically? Well, you know, it's actually interesting because we have a lot of opportunity. Uh, if As we put together our Maple Ridge Moose Plan, mm-hmm. which is going to expand the Abernathy Corridor and, and go all the way out to 256, where there's actually around 600 acres of industrial land available, which is something that everybody is interested in. And this announcement uh, brings with it a lot of attention that says that Maple Ridge is a player in the region, uh, you know, and the economic spin-offs, you know, we're talking about construction, transportation, supply chain, site surfacing. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're 30 minutes outside Delta Port. So, you know, when we look at the Pacific Rim trading, this is perfect for us. We're well positioned to, to grow our own community 
and contribute to being able to build our infrastructure with companies like this that come on board. So I think it's on top of everything else, the fact that they will attract even more business to us. Uh, this is very exciting for Maple Ridge. So I just want to confirm, you have 600 acres that hasn't been touched yet that has to be developed. That's correct. All right. Well, that's a good problem to have. We, we need more of that <laughs> in, the, in, in, uh, in Metro Vancouver. Uh, speak to me. And I, have, I was over in your community a few months ago and got a chance to meet your, you and your council. Um, speak to me just in regards to the growth there. Uh, you know, we, we know suburbs are growing, population is growing. What, what are the unique challenges that you have in Maple Ridge? Because people think it's, you know, it's far off, it's the sleepy suburbs, but it's not any of that anymore. Walk us through what, what Maple Ridge looks like today and where you're headed. Oh, gosh. Uh, so earlier this year, we actually launched a new brand strategy mm-hmm. for us uh, because, uh, again, we need to change that, that image that, that outsiders have of who we are. And when we look at how fast we're growing, again, as I said, twice the national rate, in the next 10 years, we expect to grow by another 20 to 30,000 population. So what do we need? We need more housing. We need more economic development. We need more infrastructure. And we need to understand that uh, our, our transportation corridors, we can't expand them anymore. So another exciting announcement that we had yesterday was the announcement that we're prioritized to get one of the first BRT routes, bus rapid transit routes, in the lower mainland. And why is that exciting? Is because now it allows us on that one route that we have from Haney Place to uh, Langley, it will allow us to start to redevelop that area and start to bring more uh, housing, uh, rental housing, uh, towers. It'll allow us to redevelop everything and, and, and bring us to a point where people will be able to get the things that they need in Maple Ridge. Uh, in fact, I will say that um, the where the Molly Cell building is, there will be a BRT uh, stop nearby, so people can take that BRT once it uh, all comes together. Uh, and it's not far from the West Coast Express as well. So it's well positioned to, to, to be able to service the needs of those new employees that they'll be hiring. And I- I guess with the BRT, you would eventually, as you're heading into Langley, you'd be able to catch the SkyTrain once it's built into Langley City. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, final question to you. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of mayors on with the new housing legislation that's been announced by the NDP government. You know, cities like Vancouver think it's fabulous. Uh, cities like Delta, generally speaking, the councillors that I've spoken to really like the idea. Those are established communities. There's not a lot of um, open land, free land, greenfield land uh, that's available. Langley Township, another different different sort of argument that they make is, look, we are doing everything they want in regards to the missing middle, greater density. But we also have a lot of open land available, and we would like to um, build there based on local values, local needs, and build it holistically rather than this this large piece of legislation uh, foisted upon us, which is you know greater density and all of those types of things. We, we're doing that already. Don't force us to do it in land that hasn't been developed. We'll do that on our own time. Now, in the case of Maple Ridge, where do you sit on this issue? Do you think it's this issue takes away local autonomy and is foisting these, challenge, uh, these, these, these decisions on you? Or do you think it's the right decision for your community? I'm just curious. Well, uh, when we look at some of that legislation, we're still absorbing it, trying to understand it. But I think it's important to note that a lot of those things we as a council have already been talking about, uh, whether it's public hearings, 
whether it's infill. Uh, we've already had those conversations, uh, so we need to see how, how that legislation lines up with where we have been going. We've streamlined a lot of the processes at City Hall. Uh, what's, what I think is extremely important is we can't have builders sitting in the queue for two, three, four, five years. That's what gets us into trouble. So as an organization, we are ramping up on how we do business, on how we are able to move applications through the system. Uh, We have now been accepted as one of the pilot cities to do uh, AI building permit technology. Um, Things like that will help us to do a better job so that when, when developments come to us, we can move them through the queue even faster. As the legislation comes dropped down, we'll continue to look at it. We'll continue to see where are we lined up, where are we not lined up, and we'll pass that information on to our MLAs. And as with any, as you know, in legislation, there's debate that happens. So where it lands, not sure at this point. But um, I think I think what they're trying to do is the is 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 right uh, in trying to help solve the crisis. But they also have to understand that cities like ours uh, are ready, willing, and able to do what we need to do to get it done. So I don't think anybody wants anybody telling them what to do. No, that is is true. Dan, we've run out of time. We want to work together. Yeah, I do. And once again, congratulations to you and uh, your fellow councillors in the entire uh, city of Maple Ridge. That's a huge week for you folks. A billion dollar investment doesn't happen every week, I tell you, but you take it when it comes. That's for sure. Dan, thanks for your time and congratulations to you. All right. Goodbye now. It's over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday and this is the wrap. On the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's This week, we ask if you were to pick a celebrity to build a themed cruise around, who would it be? And Love Actually came out 20 years ago this week. What's your go-to holiday movie that gets you in the spirit? Our Friday wrap panel for today is Jerry Merritt Judson. She's a show contributor. She's at home with COVID, watching really bad Aussie reality shows. And Sarah Daniel is a real estate agent in South Surrey. She's an author and broadcaster. Jerry, Sarah, welcome. Thanks, Jazz. I wasn't really paying close attention to the intro, and then I was like, wait, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> Jerry, you want to get it out of the way? Go ahead. Tell, yeah. her, tell, tell Sarah what you've been watching at home dealing with COVID. Jazz is not letting me live this down that I've been watching a lot of Australian border security where they have oh an Australian <laughs> And Australian customs, they bust people for all kinds of weird stuff. I, I used to do a television show, and the same company that produced my show did the border security here. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's cheap entertainment. What can I say? Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. But our, our listeners were so concerned, they, they emailed some other suggestions for top quality <laughs> entertainment. So anyway, let's go touch on the, the first, uh, first uh, subject of the day. Of course, a cruise themed around the pop star Taylor Swift is set. <laughs> sail to the Bahamas next year. Uh, organizers by travel oh organized God. by travel agency Marvelous Mouse Travels, the four-night cruise called In My Cruise Era will take over Royal Caribbean's liner Allure of the Sea and depart the Port of Miami the day after Swift's last era's tour stops in the city on October 20th of 2024. Uh, Swift-themed events are set to take place every night of the voyage, including a welcome cocktail party, a friendship bracelet swapping session, and a themed dance party 
and a karaoke night. So my question to you, Jerry, if you were to pick a celebrity to build a themed cruise around, who would it be? So I've given this a lot of thought, Jazz, and I, I've sort oh. of molded the question. Mm-hmm. I'm going to... I, I would like there to be a disco cruise. I call oh. it Cruise Ship 54, right? And there would be disco balls. There would be so many jumpsuits. We could have celebrity cameos. What if we got Diana Ross on that cruise ship? What if we got Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire? Do you know what I mean? And there could be wow. just nightly dance parties. We could probably, probably not Bianca Jagger on a horse, but what if there was a horse? You know what I mean? That's what I want. I want a disco cruise. You want a horse on a cruise ship? Well, you know, Studio 54, Bianca Jagger, Game of Thrones. I just want a horse on a cruise ship and seasickness. We want more. I think there's a sitcom waiting to happen there anyway. Yes. But I like that little R&B, old school. That's great. Sarah, Mm -hmm. what about you? So I would have, I wouldn't care about the celebrity. They could have anybody because you are not getting me on a cruise ship. I am not being stuck at sea for like more than God knows how many days with people that I cannot escape because there's nowhere to hide and the norovirus. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Okay, fair. You put any celebrity cruise together if you want. I will wave goodbye at the dock and say, don't let the, you know, hit me on the way on the, on the way out because I am not going on the cruise. I don't care what reason for. Sarah, have you ever done a cruise ever? Um, I have been, I, I'm sure you probably had to do it too, Jazz. We used to have like, the staff parties where they would have like the and you had to go on the cruise. Yes, and there's there's no escape. You can't sneak out, right? Yes, You're stuck there for. So to me, that's torture enough. Like you know, uh, like stag parties that are on cruise. Like the so cruise around the harbor for a couple of yeah, hours. Cruise and stuff around like. the harbor, and you're yeah. like, oh my god, shoot me now! I can't get off this boat. They'll notice if they hear a splash, right? And they see somebody swimming away. Yeah, I'm not going. On a cruise. <laughs> no. I'm not going. On a cruise. I I I haven't done a cruise myself, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of like you, going, well, is that fun? Is it not? We were in Hawaii, I think, last year, and they did one of those, you know, swim with the dolphins things, and they take yeah. all you out like for like an hour and a half, but it was super choppy water, and people were getting sick. It was actually pretty bad. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not a big fan of those. But if I was to pick a celebrity, I'd probably do Woody Harrelson. That would be kind of fun with him and his buddies. <laughs> I know oh, he, dear Lord. That would be a lot of fun. It would be very Party casual. As, it, would, <laughs> it would be club conspiracy theory. It would be awesome. It would be. <laughs> that, that's true. I didn't think of it that way. But, yeah, he... <laughs> He's, he's Mr. Conspiracy. But you can imagine something like this with Taylor Swift, uh, Jerry, uh, selling quickly. I mean, four days, go down to the Bahamas, you meet your, uh, hang out with your fellow Swifties. I mean, I can see why some entrepreneur decided to move ahead with it. Oh, 100%. That's so fun. It's like Disney cruises, but for Swifties. I love and support that so much. It sounds like nothing but positive vibes on this boat. It, it would be stunning. It'd be like the Eras Tour, but just at sea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, Sarah, Sarah raises a good point. You know, I was just thinking uh, how many times on, uh, uh, you know, in my reporting days, you know, I think it's yep. once a season, there'll be some cruise ships got to come in and, and threat of Norwalk or some patients. Got, yeah. It's just like the industry. Stuck. It's a constant <laughs> issue. Remember the early days of COVID, I too? <laughs> it was just I, I remember, I'm like, yeah. seriously, the beginning, I remember at the beginning of COVID, my mom, you know, everybody was freaking out about the, all their stocks dropping. And I kept on saying to my mom, hey, you've got Clorox. You don't have Princess Cruises. So, like, <laughs> consider yourself happy. Yeah, right? the, the, that industry, especially, <laughs> it's just if you if you are worried about that I, kind of stuff, that's the last and, place and you want to be. we have a lot of cruise ships that come through. So, I like, I support the cruise industry. If you love the cruise industry, enjoy. 
I just happen to be one of those people that I, it's just never going to happen. That's, That's right. It. We're just talking about celebrity-themed cruises uh, because a, a Florida company is offering a Taylor Swift cruise. Uh, and Sarah says, no, thank you. Uh, and we have probably the world's biggest Swifty here is our technical producer, Talia Miller. Talia, uh, just out of curiosity, would you do the Taylor Swift cruise? No. You can't get me on that boat. I'm with Sarah. I I had such a fear of going over to uh, Vancouver Island to go to Victoria. I got on BC ferries. Yeah, I got sick. I was like, nope, you can't make me. Also, you don't know what's under the water. You can't see. It's, you know what? It's it for me. It's not even so much the sick. It's just the fact that I'm stuck. Like if you run into somebody who's particularly annoying on the boat, and there's there's no escape, right? Like you can they find you. So it's like. You're a C stuck with, like, you know, somebody who's driving you crazy. I can't handle that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's talk right. uh, Christmas movies. I tell you, let's play our Christmas movie mashup. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... I can't seem to find my toothbrush, so I'll pick one up when I go out today. Other than that, I'm in good shape. Ah! And I want to look him straight in the eye, and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, heartless, fat... Worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy sh**! Where's the Tylenol? Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town! Santa! Oh, my God! <laughs> Over the past few years, Christmas movies have proliferated as fast as kids ripping open their holiday presents. There's so many classics, Home Alone, even Die Hard, which has got nothing to do with Christmas, Polar Express, Charlie Brown Christmas, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. There's so many to choose from. Uh, Jerry, let me start with you. Do you have a particular favorite that you like that gets you in the mood for Christmas? I do. I uh, had two VHSs with Christmas specials in my home when I was growing up, and they were How the Grinch, How the Grinch Stole Christmas from 96. Yes. Or sorry, from 66. 66, okay. Rather, 66, yeah. Boris Karloff is the Grinch. And uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from 64, the claymation one. Really? Yeah. I, I thought, like I thought you'd be too young stuff. for that. I agree. I agree. I, uh, yeah. That I, uh, I no, totally my parents, agree. Those are my picks. Me. Yes! Those you... are my picks. Those are the classics. Oh, my God. We're the same person. Wow. Oh, so... my God. I can't Am believe... I at home with COVID? <laughs> <laughs> what? We've never been in the same room at the same time. Oh, my I God. Know. I know. <laughs> I actually thought of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the claymation version as well, the 1964 version. I just thought you were too young for that, Jerry. I mean, thank you for thinking so, but I'm very old in spirit. <laughs> I am an old soul, as they say. Not that you guys are very old, but you know what I mean. I'm beyond my years. I am the oldest, I, so uh... don't even start with me. So uh, here's the other <laughs> question then for you, Sarah. Uh, should Die Hard be considered a Christmas movie? Uh, you know, this is embarrassing because I've never seen Die Hard, but I, a lot of guys I know say that it is the ultimate Christmas movie. So I, I, but you know what? I, Love Actually, I, I do really like Love Actually because it's sort of the spirit behind it is very sweet. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with the, like the Grinch that stole Christmas, the, uh, the original version, Boris mm-hmm. Karloff, like when I was a little kid and it's, it's hard to find, like even on like, like it might be on Netflix or something like that now, but I've actually done searches during the Christmas season to find out where it air when it airs. And usually it's the CBC and I've usually missed mm-hmm. it. It's usually like once. At like seven o'clock on a Thursday, and I'm I'm not there to to watch it, right? So, you know, it's but it's but it's a classic. It's like it just it's just 
is something about that that cartoon. Half an hour, it's perfection. And I named my first dog Max after Max the dog Aww. in the actual cartoon because oh, he looked like that. He oh, looked wow. like that. So yeah. Yeah, I, I've That's actually adorable. beyond that Christmas holiday movies, of course, are the Harlequin romance uh, shows uh, that they yeah. do. I'm just wondering if yeah, the actor strike has actually caused a shortage of those this year. I'm really curious because those things start December first; the they same. just go. They are it's the same plot. Yes. It's, all, it's all the same. It's the, the the lovely blonde woman goes home after really finding that she has to come home and help her parents save the restaurant slash hotel slash business where she runs into some guy that she knew 20 years ago and surprise now they've fallen in love all over again and the town looks the same and it snows at the same time and it's all filmed in Langley so yeah. there you go I've just you're, I've covered everything for you I know. The formula. it's Langley or it's Steveston it's probably Ladner Village yeah. too those three are usually oh, the yes. three that they that they focus on and by the way we did a, an yeah. interview earlier this week and Langley um, the Martini Studios there they're opening up that set the Harlequin set if you want to call it that from uh, December 1st onwards uh, and right. you can buy tickets there's going to be carolers there you can buy food there and you can walk the streets of New York or a small town or any town USA as they call it and <laughs> all the various sets and you can sort of enjoy Christmas in a on a movie set so that's kind of cool love Christmas I saw a post today that said I want a movie about a man that moves from a small town to a city and meets a busy businesswoman that teaches him to hate Christmas I think that would be a fun one <laughs> I would watch that. I would so watch that movie. I would too. Oh, my God. Jerry, uh, Sarah, thank you so much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. And and, uh, Jerry, especially, stay away from Aussie reality shows. Uh, I'll do my best, Jazz. I think I'm out of them now. Okay, good. That's Jerry Barrett-Jensen, our show contributor. And, of course, Sarah Daniels. She's a real estate agent in South Surrey, author and broadcaster as well. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.